Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We're looking at the character of a godly man or a godly person, um, and I, I want to take a look for a few weeks at this passage of scripture in Second Peter chapter 1. Um, and so let me just read to you the, the verses here, and then we'll get into the content of the message. So uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. So the audience is two believers. He's writing uh, to people that have obtained faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Anytime you read about the knowledge of God, it just simply means knowing God. So uh, the the act of knowing God is the knowledge of God. And so uh, grace and peace is multiplied through that and of our Lord Jesus. And then it says, verse 3, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So through knowing him, we have everything already given to us that we need for life and godliness, who has called us unto glory and virtue. So glory is substance, so we're to have substantial lives. Virtue is character. And so he says, whereby, verse 4 then, are given unto us great and precious promises. So now he's speaking of the word of God, because that's where the promises are contained. That by these, by the word, you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then besides this, giving all diligence. Now, this is the part that we're to do. Everything that he said in the first four verses is what we have. And now he's going to tell us what to do. This is the action. So besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. And charity is agape love. If you have any other translation, it just uses the word love. And then he, he tells us why. So he's telling us what to do in verse seven or uh, 6 and 7. And now he tells us why. You see the word for. For is a reason word. So he says, for if these things are in you, if you do what he asked in those verses and abound, then they make you. So they don't help you. They actually make you. It is the product of doing that will make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord, in your knowing of God, your Christian walk. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, in contrast to this, brothers, give diligence to make your calling and election sure or certain for, and here's why, if you do these things, you shall never fall. Never, you'll never fall away. You'll never err. 
For so, and also in this, an entrance shall be ministered to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, there'll be a day that you'll stand before him and you'll see the true value of, of a life lived this way. That when you come before him, you're going to realize that you didn't waste your life. Now, verse 12, he says, wherefore, or this is why, he says, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. Yea, I think it's necessary as long as I am in this tabernacle. He's speaking of his body and he's speaking of his life. So as long as I'm on this earth is what he's saying. To stir you up by putting you in remembrance, and here's why he's doing this, verse 14, and this is our last verse, knowing that shortly, soon, I must put off this my tabernacle, I'm going to lay down this old body, this old bag of bones, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown to me. And so, Second uh, Peter, the, 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 the occasion and the reason why Peter uh, had it in his heart to write this by the Spirit of God is because he's feeling his mortality. He knows that it won't be long now before he's going to be going to be with Jesus, and he realizes that the moments that he has remaining on earth are valuable and precious, and he wants to use them in the most effective way possible to uh, preserve his message and his ministry and to invest in the generation of Christians that he's leaving behind. And so in this opening chapter here, as he kind of sets forth his theme and his reason for writing, he makes some general assumptions, six of them by number, six assumptions that Peter makes about every Christian. And it's true about us. Peter assumes these things about us. Number one assumption is that no Christian wants to be barren. I mean, he says that because he says, if you do these things, then they make you that you shall not be barren. So he's just assuming that we don't want to be barren as Christians. The word barren means inactive, lazy, or useless. So he's assuming that as Christians, we don't want to be lazy, inactive, and useless. The second assumption that he makes is that no Christian wants to be unfruitful. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. The word unfruitful means without fruit and not bearing what you ought to bear. Meaning that God has placed in you by the divine nature that's been given, God has placed in you the seed of some kind of fruit that's going to come out of your life in the uh, appearance of your character, in the actions of what you'll do. There's fruit what's going to be produced from your life. And Peter is assuming that no Christian wants to be unfruitful, that we want to be fruit-bearing. The third thing he assumes is that no Christian wants to be blind. He says, for that, if you do these things, they make you that you shall not be blind. Blind means lacking vision. It's not physical, it's spiritual. So he assumes we don't want to lack vision for our life, that we don't want to lack understanding, we don't want to lack discernment, we don't want to lack wisdom. So the lacking of all of those things is equal to spiritual blindness, and he assumes that we don't want that. The fourth thing he assumes is that no Christian wants to forget where they came from. 
He says that if you do not do these things, then you're going to forget that you've been washed from your old sins. You're going to forget where you came from. You're going to forget what Jesus saved you out of and the very reason uh, why. Now, uh, you've heard the phrase before that those that don't learn from history are destined to what? Repeat it. That's right. And if we forget where we came from, then we're going to end up repeating where we came from. We're going to end up going back there. And so Peter assumes that nobody wants to forget where they came from. He assumes, fifthly, that no Christian wants to fall. He says, if you do these things, you shall never fall. The word fall means to trip, to err, to sin, to fail, or to stumble. All of those words are, are, are tucked into that word fall right there. And he's assuming that none of us want to do those things. We don't want to make a mistake that's going to cause us to stumble or someone else to stumble or that's going to result in our failure. And then number six, the sixth assumption that Peter makes is that no one, no Christian wants to waste their life. He talks lastly about the abundant entrance into his kingdom, right? Coming in and having an abundant entrance when we come into the kingdom of God. That means that one day we're going to stand before Jesus and everything that we did in our lives and with our lives is going to be weighed in his balance and examined by his eye right in front of us. And the value of what our lives accomplished produced and became is going to be revealed right there before him. And there's not one of us, no Christian wants to stand before Jesus and see their entire life played out in in his sight and then realize that they wasted their life, that they gave their life to something that was of no value eternally, that did nothing for the kingdom, and that though on earth it might have looked successful, in the context of eternity, it was a complete waste of time. And nobody wants that. I know that is what, that's the thing that keeps me up at night more than anything else, is, is the, the, the fear of a wasted life, wasting my life. I don't want to waste my life. Nobody wants to waste their life. And so Peter makes those six general assumptions that I, I would submit are true of every one of us here this morning. No one wants to be barren, unfruitful, blind, forgetful of where they came from. No one wants to fall, and no one wants to waste their life. Now, my assumption is that you're here this morning right now, and so am I, because we don't want those things. We're here this morning because we want to grow in the grace and in the knowledge. In fact, if you read the last verse, and you don't have to, I'll tell you what it says. The last verse of Second Peter at the end of the book, that's what he says. He says that we should grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, that's the, the goal is that we want to grow. That's the assumption. Now, what we do with our lives, the actions of our lives, they are a byproduct always of who we are. What we are in the deepest part is always going to come out in what we do, our actions. And so the question is, what do we have to do in order to become the kind of people that do things that don't result in barrenness, unfruitful, blind, forgetful, falling, wasteful lives? What are the things that we're called to do? And that's what Peter gives to us here in this opening chapter. Uh, he gives to, to us there. Now, he starts with a premise. And the premise is that we are made partakers of the divine nature. 
And, and, and so basically what he's saying is that God has given to us through Jesus and through our salvation, he's given us a new DNA. He's given us a spiritual DNA, meaning that he's given us the capacity to grow and to be the opposite of all those negative things. We have that divine nature. The potential to succeed is already in us, but now there's something that we have to do. And so that's what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. We're going to take these things one at a time, and we're going to ask the question, what does it really mean to do each of these actions? And so the first one that he tells us there, and it's all that we'll look at this morning, he tells us, there that we're to add to our faith. Do you see that there in verse five? He says, besides this giving all diligence, add to your faith. And so we want to know what does it mean to add to our faith? Well, first of all, all faith is not equal. There is not an equation where you can put faith on each side and it just equals all. All faith is not equal. We know that because Jesus said that you can have faith the size of a mustard seed. And he was implying that that is a very small faith. He also said on two occasions to two other people, one a woman, Gentile, and one a centurion, Gentile, funny that they were both Gentiles, that he has never seen, even in Israel, such great faith. So Jesus implies that there's a spectrum. There can be mustard seed size faith, or there can be great faith. There are different sizes of faith. And so that means that it's possible that no matter where my faith is today or what my faith looks like today, that faith can grow. I can grow in my faith and it can become more than what it is today. It's important to understand that there are two kinds of faith, that when we look at it in the Bible and we look at this concept of faith, there's two different kinds of faith. With the first kind of faith, the Bible would call saving faith. And what that simply is, is the faith of putting my trust in Jesus as my Savior for the forgiveness of my sins so that I can be born again. I'm trusting that what he did on the cross is enough to pay the price for my sins, and therefore because of what he did and absorbed, I am now declared righteous by God. And that is an act of faith of putting my trust in him. The foundation, of course, of, of, of that we get from Abraham. Remember way back in Genesis 15, when God spoke to Abraham, gave him a promise. And it says that Abraham believed in the Lord and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. So Abraham simply believed what God said, and in the process of believing, God transferred Abraham from a position of unrighteous to now a position of righteous, and it was the byproduct of faith. He simply believed in the Lord, and that's what did it. Now, the Apostle Paul explains that in further detail in Romans chapter 3. And if you want to read Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 28 you can kind of see it broken down a little bit clearer how that works and what that means. And I'm not going to take the time to go through that this morning, but he describes it there. But the question that that, that raises this whole idea of faith and righteousness, the question that that raises for me is what do the two things have to do with each other? Where's the connection? Because in my logical mind, I don't understand that. How can my belief in something equate 
to forgiveness of sins. It seems like those are two totally different spheres of reality. So how does the one turn into the other? And the, the answer is that it really doesn't make sense. And the Bible acknowledges that that doesn't make sense. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 18, the Apostle Paul uh, set, acknowledges it. He just, he just kind of like points to the elephant in the room, and he, he says it like this. And I didn't put a, a post-it, so just forgive me while I turn there really fast. I don't want to misquote the verse. But 1 Corinthians one eighteen, Paul says this. He says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved it is the power of God. In other words, when you tell someone that you just simply believe in what the Bible says that Jesus did, who he is and what he did, then your sins will be completely forgiven. And you say, well, you know, I understand that if I hit a nail in a certain way, it's going to be driven home a certain way. I understand that if I do invest my money a certain way, it's going to return. I understand. But now you're telling me that if I simply believe in something that happened so long ago, that has nothing to do with my behavior or anything that I've done, and that simply just by believing in a historical act that happened, all of a sudden now my sins can be forgiven? That doesn't make any sense at all. I cannot reconcile that in my logical mind. It doesn't make sense to me. So how does that work and why does that work? Well, Jesus gives the answer to that question in John chapter 3. Remember John 3? That's the, the Nicodemus chapter. That's the born-again chapter where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, what in the world is going on? Who are you? Why are you doing these things? And Jesus says, you must be born again to Nicodemus. And he seems born again, what are you talking about? Enter, how can I be put in the womb again? I'm a grown man. You know, what are you talking about? And Jesus basically says, look, you're the teacher of Israel and, and you don't understand these things. And then, he, and then Jesus explains it. He says this. He says, just, and it's John 3, 14 and 15. He says, just as Moses lifted up a brass serpent in the wilderness and told the people that were sick that if they looked in the direction of that brass serpent, that they would be healed. Jesus said, just like that, so also... Those that believe in the Son of Man, in the Son of God, they will be saved from their sins. Well, what does looking at a brass snake on a pole have to do with the healing of a physical infirmity in my body? The answer, nothing. But it worked. When the people looked at the serpent on the pole, they were healed on the inside. And so you say, well, why did that work? Do you know why it worked? Because God made it work. Because God said, this is the way it's going to work. And thus, saving faith is faith because I have to believe in something that doesn't make any sense to my logical mind. It doesn't make any sense to me that believing what Jesus did on the cross could be the answer for the condition of my sinful life and, and, and all the results of that. But it works because God says it works. And thus faith, saving faith, is faith because I have to believe in something that makes no logical sense at all. It requires faith. That's one kind of faith. That's saving faith. But the second kind of faith is daily faith, and that's much harder. <clears throat> See, saving faith, I can come to that place I can transact with God, I can be born again, and he does his work of salvation in my life, and I move forward. 
And I don't have to think about anymore whether or not I believe that or anything. That's kind of settled and done. That's the easy part. But then there's a different kind of faith, the kind of faith that can grow, and that's what the Bible would call daily faith. And what that is, is living by faith in Jesus day by day. It means to rely upon and to trust in the promises that God has made and then to live my life in alignment with those promises. And there are literally hundreds of those promises that we can find on the pages of Scripture that God calls us to rely upon and live by and trust in. And this is where faith gets challenging. Because oftentimes those promises, just like saving faith, those promises are contrary to human logic. They don't make sense in the everyday. And sometimes in order to do what Peter is asking me to do, to add to my faith, it means that sometimes my actions have to defy human logic if I'm going to live by faith. Because sometimes God's promises don't allow me to trust in my logic. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It's a famous passage. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on what? Your own understanding. In all your ways, not some or most or the ones that you need the most, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths or he will make your path straight. See, we're called to live by faith. And that means that we have to abandon our own logic when it comes to the decision of, am I going to believe God on this or am I going to believe my instincts on this? To live by faith means that I'm going to believe God on this. So here's some examples of daily faith. One example of daily faith is not letting worry, anxiety, or fear of the future affect the decisions that you make today. And the reason is because you trust in the promises of God. And so sometimes that will, 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 will look like staying in a situation or staying in a place when you really feel like you should leave. Remember when Abraham was in Egypt and he had many, 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 many mouths to feed and there was a famine and there was no rain and, and God had called him to be in the place that he was, but God had also sent a famine that was crippling him financially and leaning on his own understanding, he left a place that he was supposed to stay out of fear and worry of what would become of him and of his people. And it was a really bad move, and he made a big mess of things. Sometimes it's staying when you think you should go. Other times it's going when you think you should stay. Sometimes God will move upon your heart or challenge you in your life that you're to move out of a situation that you're very comfortable in and that it doesn't make sense that you should leave. We talked in weeks past about when Jesus was in the middle of a revival in one of the towns of Galilee. And he went to pray early in the morning and the disciples came and finally found him and said, Lord, you need to get back in the village. The crowds have already gathered. And Jesus said, no, there's other towns and villages that I need to go to. We're not going back to that one. We're going to go to another one. It didn't make any sense, but he knew that's what he was supposed to do, even though it didn't make sense in human logic. We read in the book of Acts of the adventures and the missionary endeavors of the apostle Paul. And what we see is that many times he was in a place where human logic would say, stay right where you are. You're being very effective in the place that you're at. 
but he knew inside the spirit was moving him to go beyond the borders of where he was presently and that he needed to go, even though it made more sense to stay. And so what does that mean for you and I? It means that we're to rely upon the spirit of God, the word of God and the will of God above our logic when it comes to the position of our lives, especially when we think about our plans for the future. And so it's not letting worry, anxiety, or fear of the future affect the plans that we make today. Another example of daily faith is not leaning on a crutch that you think you need, where you rely often more on that crutch than you do upon God. And so scriptural examples of that would be like Gideon's army. Remember when Gideon had 32,000 and with 32,000, he had to face an army of 110,000 men. And God said, Gideon, you've got too many men. I can't use 32,000 because you'll get the glory and I won't. So tell everyone if they're fearful, they can go home. And immediately 20 something, 23,000 people leave and he's left with like 9,000 people or something like that. And he's like, Lord, what am I going to do? And God says, well, I don't know what you're going to do. But he says, I can't do anything with 9,000 men. That's too many. I won't get any glory if I fight this battle with 9,000 men. So do this. Go down to the river and tell everyone to drink. And everyone who laps over like a dog, send them home. (laughs) And you keep what's left. So Gideon goes, all right. They go down to the river. And but it's all said and done. Gideon's got 300 men left. And God said, okay, that's good. I can work with that. (laughs) Lord, I really would appreciate the crutch of a third to 2,000. And it is a crutch, Lord. We're going against 100,000 men. (laughs) I would like the crutch of 32,000. And God says, no, I want you to rely upon me. For Joshua, a crutch was a plan. Remember, he was tasked with fighting against Jericho. It was a walled city. And all the people were looking at Joshua saying, how are we going to do this? And Joshua looked at them and said, I don't know. (laughs) I don't have a clue. All I know is that God told me that every day we're supposed to walk around the city and on the seventh day we're going to walk around it seven times and blow our trumpets and we're supposed to see what happens. Don't you think you need a better plan than that? Yes, I absolutely do think we need a better plan than that. But that's what God told me to do and I'm called to rely upon his word and not upon human logic. That's daily faith. That's not leaning on a crutch. For David, when he would go up against Goliath, And Saul would say, here, take my armor and my sword. And David to say, I don't know how to use these things. These things would be a crutch for me. I'm going to take my sling and my stones and see what happens. It's relying on God without a crutch. For Peter, the crutch would be a boat when Jesus called him to walk on water. Lord, I don't know how to walk on water without a boat between me and said water. <laughs> you know, And, and so uh, sometimes to rely on God in the daily, it means to put away a crutch that we're relying upon more than God. So what does that mean in the life of a man in 2019? Well, sometimes it means... Uh, to stop self-medicating with something that you're using as a coping strategy or a crutch in your life because you feel like you need it because the grace of God is insufficient to get you through in the way that you need to. Uh, Another way that we have crutches is we have pressure release valves in our lives, little compromises and sins. For some people, it might be uh, buying something just on a whim. There's a satisfaction in that. For some, it might be vacationing or traveling or getting away. For others, it might be spending too much time, uh, screen time, you know, Instagramming or whatever, things that just uh, kind of are are self-medication strategies. Uh, Sometimes to get rid of a crutch or to live by faith 
and not leaning on a crutch is just allowing God some time and space to fill a hole that's in your heart that you're trying to fill with something else. You know, sometimes when we, by faith, stop doing something, you know, maybe we uh, have been drinking a little bit too much and God, we know he's calling us to stop, but we know that if we stop, there's going to be some withdrawal and that we're going to sense that emptiness. There's going to be that hole. And sometimes to throw away the crutch is to allow God the time and space to fill that need that we're trying to drown out with something else. You know, and so that's, that's daily faith, not leaning on a crutch that you think you need because you're relying more upon it than upon God. Another example of daily faith is stepping out in risky faith to do something that you sense God calling you to do. And so in scripture, we read about uh, Jonathan, who was David's friend and, and the son of King Saul, and his armor bearer. And they were out walking one day, just the two of them, and they saw in the distance, they saw a, a troop of Philistine uh, enemies. They saw an army brigade. And Jonathan looked at his armor bearer and said, hey, you know what? God doesn't need a whole army. And, and inspired by David's heroism, he, he said, you know, God can deliver with just two men, just the same as he could with 10 men or 10,000 men. And he goes, maybe God wants to use you and me to just take out that whole entire band of the Philistines. And so they, they, they lay up a prayer and they ask God for some confirmation. They get the confirmation and Jonathan and his armor bearer stepped out in faith to do something that logic would never dictate a human life to do. And in the process, they brought a great deliverance and Jonathan became somewhat of a hero in scripture. And sometimes for you and me, God will call us to step out in faith and to do something that we sense him calling us to do that maybe doesn't make much sense or that maybe we don't want to do or we're afraid to do. Uh, maybe make a phone call. Uh, maybe share with somebody, um, share our faith with somebody that's outside of our comfort zone to do that at all, or more, more or less the person that it is that God's asking us to share with. Uh, maybe God's calling us to start a business for the sake of his glory and, and for our provision as future. Maybe God calling someone to start a podcast or start a ministry or step out in ministry in some way. So to respond to that is to walk by faith. It's to step out in faith. And then a final example of daily faith is to embrace unplanned or unwelcomed circumstances as the will of God. Now, the, the biblical principle for this is from Genesis to Revelation, right? Because, because every single person that ever walks on this planet is going to have to face up to the fact that there are unplanned circumstances uh, and interruptions and unwelcomed things that come into our lives. That's a given in life. And so to, 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 to have faith in the context of that means that, that I'm embracing those unexpected circumstances, interruptions, or unwelcome things as the will of God, and I'm receiving them with thanksgiving. So in other words, something that I didn't plan for, now all of a sudden that something is a reality in my life. Something maybe I don't want. That's a very bad timing. But I'm saying, instead of complaining against it or resisting it or trying to remove it, I'm saying, okay, God, you've allowed this. You've put me in this place. Obviously, you have something either for me to do or something for me to learn or something for me to give or serve through this. And so, Lord, I thank you for this circumstance and this trial and help me to navigate it in the best way possible. And rather than resisting it, to embrace the thing that God has called. That's daily faith. 
and it's looking for God in the interruptions and trusting God in the trials that we have. Now, all of those, and there are many more examples of daily faith, but we're called to add to our faith. Now, that's what faith is. There's saving faith and there's daily faith. How do we grow in our faith? How do we now grow in it? I want to stay the same. I want to grow. And so there's two ways that we grow in our faith. Number one is that I must become increasingly familiar with what I am promised. I must become, I can't grow in my faith if I don't know what I believe. And so I must become increasingly familiar with what I've been promised. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So in other words, as I become more familiar with the promises of God, then my faith can grow because I'm giving it the foundation of knowing what I'm to believe. And so I have to know what I believe in order for my faith to grow. I have to become increasingly familiar with what I'm promised. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, says that faith is the substance. The substance is the under stance. Sub is under and stance is what something stands upon. So faith is really the foundation of the things that I'm hoping for. It's the substance of things hoped for, right? And so I have to believe in something in order for me to hope in something. And so if I don't know what I believe, then it's impossible for me to hope for it to come. So faith is the substance of what I'm hoping for, and it's the evidence of things, that's a substance, not seen yet. And so I've got to know what I'm believing. So I'm becoming more and more familiar with the promises of God in order to grow my faith. And then number two, and this is the the clincher, okay, it's one thing to know, right? Number two is that I must act according to what I believe. I have to exercise that faith. I can't just have it somewhere tucked into my intellect or my knowledge base or encyclopedia, but I have to be doing the thing that I'm believing if I want my faith to grow. If you read James chapter 2, and that you guys will probably already know the, the passage of scripture that I'm talking about, where he says that faith without works is what? Is dead. If I say I believe something, but if I don't act on what I believe, or if my life isn't a reflection of what I believe, then that is an evidence that I don't really believe it. If I believe it, I'm going to act on what I believe, and I've got to be a doer of it. And so James says three things in that chapter. He says that words don't prove anything. Words don't prove anything. He says also that action is the evidence of faith. If you believe it, you'll do it. And then he gives examples of it with Abraham and Rahab. And he shows that, listen, you say it, show it. He says, you say I have faith and you have works. He says, I will show you my faith with my works. Do it. And so what does Peter say to you and I at the onset of this call to action? He tells us, listen, do you want to be barren? Do you want to be unfruitful? Do you want to be blind? Do you want to be forgetful of where you came from and thus return to where that was? Do you want to fall? Do you want to sin and fail? Do you want to waste your life? I assume that none of us do. He says, well, it begins by adding to your faith. Add to your faith. Change something. Evaluate the areas of your life 
where your actions deny your profession. What are the areas of your life this morning where your actions defy your profession? Where you say, I believe this, but the evidence of what you do says something totally contrary. Allow the Holy Spirit to shine into this morning that part of your heart And what are you willing to do to change that this morning? Add to your faith. I heard a great uh, quote. It was that change happens when the pain of the status quo is greater than the pain that comes from change. We resist change. We don't hate change. We resist it. We change when we feel like it's necessary. Then we like it. But oftentimes, change doesn't happen until the pain of the status quo, the present condition becomes greater than the pain associated with change. And I ask this morning, if you're just honest with your life, would you say that it's barren? Would you say it's unfruitful? Would you say that you lack vision for yourself and and for the future and for your surroundings? Would you say that you're failing, stumbling? Would you say that if I stood before Jesus today, I don't know that I would feel like my life was really worthwhile. It It might fail the test of being, having been truly valuable. If if you can say, yeah, I feel some of that, then that means some change is necessary. And it begins by adding to your faith. Become familiar increasingly with what you believe and then act upon that belief. And where you see a contradiction between what you profess and what you do, confess it to God as sin, ask him to help you to navigate through that and change it, and that he would increase your daily faith. That, Lord, I would know what it means to walk and live by faith. Next time, when we get, get together again, we're going to talk about virtue. What does it mean to add virtue to my life? And uh, hopefully, as we do this and move through, the Lord will give us the ability to be moving in a direction where we won't be barren or unfruitful or blind. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.